Good morning. Good morning. morning. This is one of those mornings, I don't know, it's where uh, even everything's moving a little slower. Uh, I... Everybody's car I know started slowly who started it, uh, or anybody who I asked. I even like turned my windshield wipers on to get the snow off, and they were like, Ehh. so I feel like maybe this is one of those, this is just one of those mornings. But um, before we get started, I want to pray. So if you would, just, just bow your heads, let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we come before you striving to be people who live in the light, God. I pray that we can... We can come to You. That we can, Father, bring our hearts and our minds close to You, God. That, that, our, that we can be the people who live in the light, that walk in the light, that, that want to be close to You. That, that not only do we want to be, but that You help us to be, God. I pray that You work powerfully through me. Let me be an instrument of Your will this morning, God. I love You, Father. I give glory and honor to You. And I pray that your spirit work powerfully this morning in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Turn over to the uh, Psalm 107. The, the title of this morning's sermon is uh, Cry Out for Light. Cry Out for Light. You know, um, the title of my first point is Some Sat in Darkness. Some Sat in Darkness and Cried Out for Light. In Psalm 107. We're going to start in verse 10. Starting in verse 10, it says, Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. And so he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the deepest gloom, and he broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and he cuts through bars of iron. Let's stop there. You know, I came across this psalm as I was preparing for this, uh, kind of a lot of things that I've studied out this week. But it's, um, it's been something that has been in my heart. It's, I feel like this is something that's been needed to be talked about. But as I was reading and, and studying this week, I, and I came across this psalm, I was, I was writing a, a different lesson during the middle of the week, and and I, I stopped writing what I was writing because I was so moved as I read this. Because I don't know about you guys, if you ever really put yourself... Because we can read... You know when you read and you just... You get to the end of the page and you're like, what the heck did I just read? <laughs> you know, and you, you read through that. I, but sometimes when you really read things and you visualize and you put yourself there, um, I just imagine the people sitting in this darkness, right? Just sitting in in a cave of some kind, chained to a wall, just trapped there. I mean, I, I put myself kind of in that situation, and I was, I was really, really, really moved. Um, I don't do this often, but I, I started trying to like write a poem based on, off of this uh, song, because I just felt so emotional about it. I was like, I want to, 
I felt like I want to write something. I was inspired because, to me, I thought about what this is talking about, and, and especially how it hit me, was how men rebel against God and, and we end up in the darkness and thinking about the effects of sin, right? And thinking how we end up in darkness. And so I started writing about how, you know, we think we can handle it, and we, we walk into it thinking, no, I, I, it's not going to happen to me, but then we end up getting stuck there. And then, then we find out we want to stay there, sort of, and then Satan convinces us that this is actually, the darkness is the safe place to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so I, I started writing inspired by that thought, and, and I'm not going to read it because it's not finished, and because it's not very good, in my opinion. But, you know, that was, that was something for me that I, I felt like I was so deeply moved by this psalm when I thought about how does it feel to be trapped in something like this? You know, and, the, and this psalmist, he's doing a great job conveying it. You know, when you look at, when he says, there was, in the, uh, in verse, what is it, 12 or 11, you know, they rebelled against the word of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. And it, it actually parallels well with what Pat was saying, you know, it says that he subjected them to bitter labor. Right, uh, allowing something to, to happen to them, and and then so that so that people would turn and want to be out of the darkness, right? But they they want to get out, and and the reality though is is some some sit in darkness, and this this song starts. It says some some sat in darkness in the deepest gloom, and you get that that sense of this despair and and oppressive. I, that's what I got. As I was reading this, and I was thinking, you know, what is it for us? What is it for you that's, that's keeping you there, right? For these people, they actually, it, it says that they were there, they're in this darkness, and, and we'll be real, we all have times where we rebel against the Lord, right? I mean, we do. And it, it, it's, there's the element of our, our sinful nature, our selfish nature, I of, of whatever it is, the parts of us that crave, that we crave sin, and, and we go back to it. But we should never want to stay there. But here, to get out of that darkness, what did they have to do? Well, they had to cry out for God. They had to cry out, like God, saying, God, help us, bring, like, help, we cannot escape. Right? And there's, there's that element where you've got to cry out for the light, for the rescue, for the salvation. It, um, it reminded me of, of this. I started, it reminded me of a, a mining accident. And actually it was... Um, I was thinking of the one they're making a movie about it. Uh, but there was a recent mining accident. And it happened in China. Um, where... Actually, I'm going to read it. Because it's, it, it's pretty incredible. It was um, the story of these miners. It was on December 25th. 2015, this is last Christmas. On December 25th, four miners were caught when a cavernous gypsum mine in China collapsed. At first, the rescuers were unsure whether anyone had survived underground after the mine's tunnels tumbled down and flooded. But after five days of, of drilling exploratory holes, they established contact with men trapped 720 feet down. They created a small shack to send down food, medicine, and other supplies 
and to keep in phone contact. Men huddled in an area about 75 square feet where they subsided, subsisted on milk, water, and bread made from rice, sorghum, and peanuts. Meanwhile, fearing that fresh collapses and flooding could kill them. Shelter in, in a safe place, a rescuer on the surface told them. And according to China's national radio, first drink your milk, keep healthy, and sooner or later we'll be able to rescue you. But several attempts to drill a wider shaft to haul the men out failed. As drills failed and tumbling earth and flooding choked off the holes, which had to pass which had to pass through difficult, crumbling sandstone and limestone. As days turned into weeks, the miners thought that they would die entombed in a mine. They were all wondering whether up on the surface we'd given up on them. He said, according, when, when we called, they cried, and down in the mine, they could, you could hear the sound of howling and wailing. As a monk of entrapment approach. The men told the rescuers, tell us straight, we know that there is no hope of rescue. But about a thousand police officers and government officials and government workers and others rescuers on the surface kept trying. Four miners emerged alive 336 days after being trapped. The trapped men were lifted one by one to the surface in a harness and each greeted by flashes of camera after more than 860 hours to drive the sunlight to protect their eyes that were blindfolded. And on Saturday, on, on uh, the Saturday they were recovered, they were taken to the hospital to recover. They, they ended up being in stable condition. There was, there was more miners who didn't make it. There was, there was 11 who were rescued, but these four ended up trapped. Can you just imagine being trapped in, in a tiny little space with four other people? Flooding, collapsing could happen at any time. I mean, you, the, the, this concept of this scripture, when it says, in despair, in darkness, and the deepest gloom, can you imagine being in darkness? For 36 days in a tiny little space. Right? I mean, the idea of, of where did they go to the bathroom? Probably right there in their little space. For 36 days. I mean, the, 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 all of this, the, the filth, the, the environment they're in, the emotional strain of what it would have been like to have been in this darkness. And so when you think of this psalmist and he's writing and, and you're thinking of someone who's trapped in the deepest darkness, someone who's, who's trapped down and can't escape, and they said that they could hear them wailing and crying. You know, you think of what, is it, what does it feel like to be in darkness? I think a lot of us know what it feels like. When we've, when we've had that chance, we've... we've We've done something, we knew we should repent, we know that we should, we want to be in the light, but we feel stuck, right? And what's crazy is some people sit in darkness, in the deepest despair and the gloom, and, and they just stay there, right? But in this though, it's talking about how what God wants, what God desires is for men to cry out. Men to cry out and call to Him. I mean, the most amazing part of this scripture I mean, yeah, it's, it, 
you get that imagery of how horrible that would be. The idea that these men were rescued. They, they started coming out, and in the whole article, I only read snippets of it, that in the whole article, they're coming out and they're saying, thank you. Just thank you. The first one that comes out, he said, thank you. They were so weak. They couldn't, they, they were like, they couldn't really talk. I mean, obviously they're blindfolded. They can't see. And, and I mean, can you imagine how the light must have hurt their eyes? You know, and that's, that's just to say sometimes when you come out of the darkness and into the light, there's going to be a degree of shock. Right? There's going to be a little bit, but there's, there's some trauma there. But how good is God that he doesn't leave us? Right? The, the fact that God would rescue us from those places. That God doesn't desire people to stay there, but He desires them to want to desire Him so that He can lift them up and bring them into the light. Because the light is where God is, right? The light is exactly where God is. And if you don't want the light, then you're just choosing to sit in darkness. And that you've got to think, what, are, where does, what is your 75 square foot space like, right? Because some people, they just make their home there, right? And, and I want to encourage us, we've got to be people who cry out for the light. Cry out for the light. Don't be waiting and, and, and sitting there yourself. But in this, the psalmist is talking about how great God is to pull us out. How amazing our Father is. That He wouldn't desire to leave us there, but to pull us out of the sin, out of the muck, out of the mire, you know, out of the filth of our own sin. He wants us, he wants us to be free. Turn over to John 3. I'm going to briefly hit this scripture, but this was a, a point. I cut it out. I decided not to. But it's, it's good to see this scripture. Because I think it's powerful. It shows us God's love for us. And to some it may seem, I mean, cliche, if it's, I grew up with it, but to me is, is I've actually gotten more mature and older in my faith, and, and I've gotten over some, a lot of past hypocrisy in my life. I've really learned more and more to appreciate this scripture. Amen. Right? But in verse 16 it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what, has, what has, he has done has been done through God. You know, this is, this is one of those scriptures that talks about God's love for us, that talks about Jesus' desire to save us. How, how deeply does God love us? Well, he became a human being, which is absurd to go from an infinite being to being a human being. Um, And then to become a human, to deal with the ridicule, the mocking, the stupidity sometimes of some of his guys, because 
Jesus even tells him, are you, still, are you so dull that you still don't get this? I mean, he tells Peter that at least once. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's an aspect where he's working with his guys and being patient with us and, and working with humanity. And then he is brutally beaten and murdered so that we might have salvation. Mm-hmm. But what's challenging about this, when we look at the scriptures, it says that some will not come into the light because they loved their sin. And, and that's the thing we look at here. And, and we look at, the verdict is, is that light's come into the world. But men loved darkness and hated the light. They loved sin more than they loved God. Yeah. You know, and when we look at the scripture, I, I guess the question that comes to my mind is, is there anything in your life right now where you're loving darkness more than you love light? That you're loving sin and holding on to sin more tightly than you're holding on to God. You know, do you fear, because here it says they're afraid their deeds will be exposed. Ironically, God already sees everything, right? So God knows who are we really afraid of? We're afraid of other people. We're afraid of what other people are going to think about us. But it's not about us. Once you really get open, if you do it for the Lord, it's about how amazing our God is. That's what the psalmist talks about. He's like, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is, He's the one that brought salvation. This gives glory to God when people get open and say, this is who I was. I, I will no longer be this person. Right? And, and we look at the scripture. But what is the darkness? What are people afraid of? They're afraid, afraid of what other people are going to think. They're more afraid of other people than they are afraid of the Lord. You know, the, the proverb says... Fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's two separate ones. And, and, and that's, there's a reality where fearing God is a good thing. It's kind of like, you know, fear of mom or dad. You know, you've got to have a healthy fear of mom or a healthy fear of dad. Uh, growing up, you know, they're, they're not our peers, they're parents. Uh, but there's a, the abundant love that parents have, right? You know, parents should love their children. And children are loving their parents. But here we look at the scripture and we see that sometimes people love their sin more than they love the Father. Even though He's loved us so much and doesn't desire for us to be in darkness. But some sit in darkness. And I guess for us, we should be sure that that is not us. We should have a response of a different way of of calling out to God. Here... In this scripture, we see it says, any who would believe in him. This isn't a simple intellectual belief. This is a belief that it would inspire a response. Right? This is a response that leads us to actually live differently. And so, the title of my second point, I'm going to move into it, is, is walk in the light, run from the darkness. Some sit in darkness and cry out for the light. Those of us who have been freed from sin, we, we put our faith in the Lord, we, we've been baptized, we've committed our lives to Jesus Christ. We can walk in the light. Don't go back and sit in the darkness. We can walk in the light. Walk in the light, run from the darkness. Turn over to 1 John 1. Our God is amazing. That He just doesn't leave us there. You know, these men, the, the, the miners, they were stuck in this tunnel in despair. Just saying, just tell it to us, like there's no hope. 
no hope. There are people who feel like there is no hope that they can ever overcome certain things. Maybe you have, like, sin in your life that's been sin in your life for forever. As long as you can remember. But with God, there's always a chance that He's going to be able to... He's, he's going to get to you. You know, Paul, there was something bothering Paul, and God said, you know what, my grace is sufficient for you to deal with this thing. But I think that there is... There are people who, who struggle with sin, and if we're really, if it's beating us down, God can lift us up. Yep. God will give us the peace and refreshment that we need. But in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we, we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. You know, this is a, this is a call. I mean, the, the Apostle John, he's writing, he's like, guys, walk in the light. Live in it. Live in the light. Live in the Lord. Live with God. Don't go back into the darkness. And he goes, but the thing is, if you say... I live in the light, and you're not dealing with your sin, right? This is what he's talking about. If we, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and the truth is not in us. What does that mean? It means if we are continually, habitually living in sin, and we know we should repent, and we're not repenting, he goes, you are in the darkness. You're, you're not in the light. What does that mean? It means you are not saved. You're not okay with God. If you are in the darkness and not dealing with sin in your life, that's not okay. That should, I mean, there should be the fear of the Lord there. Right? We should want to be in the light because, not because we don't want to go to hell, but because we want to be with God. If we understand who God is, your fear should not be that, man, that's gonna, I'm going to suffer. It's going to be, man, I'm going to miss out on God. You've got to know who He is. And that's part of that's on you and connecting with Him. It's exactly what Pat said. It's a relationship. That's what God wants. But if you say, oh, I'm with the Lord, but don't deal with sin, you're a liar. And you are deceiving yourself. You cannot be a Christian and live in the darkness. But what does He say? How do we deal with this, right? How do we, how do we purify ourselves? Well, he says it here in verse 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, to confess our sins. So many scriptures about confession. And, and we, you know, I grew up, <laughs> I grew up like Pat. Uh, I grew up in the Catholic Church. I, I grew up learning that Confession meant I, I, I had to wait till this little box on the side of the room had a light on top, and then once there was 
an open one. I could go in the little box and sit down, and then I would confess my sin to a man on the other side of the screen who would give me some prayers to pray and sometimes maybe some advice. And then I'd go pray these prayers, and then I'm forgiven. That's what I was taught. But that's, that's not how this is supposed to work, right? You know, first, the first thing we have to do, you want to be in the light? Confess your sins to the Lord. But don't just say, Lord, I, I did this, I'm, I'm really sorry, and then wait a week and then go do it again. This is the, the, the confession and repentance that says, Lord, I have sinned against you. I'm going to be different. I'm going to turn away. I give you my word, Lord. I am turning from my sin. Help me, Father, to be clean. Right? That's what it means to come into the light, to confess your sin, to really do that. You, you, are, you are confessing what you did, but then you're also saying, Lord, I want to be with you. Help me live differently. I'm going, I'm going to live differently. Mm-hmm. That's repentance. It's where you change, not only do you confess, but you change your mind. Right? And, and it means if you're, if you're being selfish, that you're learning to be unselfish. That if you're naturally angry, you're learning to be patient and kind. To be gentle. You know, those are the elements of what we've got to do. We've got to change our mind, how we think about sin, how we live, and, and be the people who walk in the light and run from the darkness. Not sitting in it. Not saying, oh, this really stinks. But, but running from it. Right? right? but running from it. And so, it starts with you and the Lord, but I'd really encourage you, confession, don't let it just stop with you and the Lord. You want to have a confidant. Maybe one or two people that you, you're really close to, people who are going to help you and really fulfill your commitment to the Lord. Be open with them. This person isn't the one that's going to absolve you of your sin. God will be the one to absolve you. You want to confess and be open with another person who's going to help you. Their job is not to forgive you. It's to help you. To hear your sin. To sit down and pray together. That's what James talks about. The end of James 5. And, and I'm not going to go there, but it talks about confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. When we confess sin, we need to get, get into the habit. One, of confessing regularly. But two, of praying together. The person you confess to, you want it to be someone who who loves you, who's going to be there to help you, who's going to tell you the hard things, but is going to sit there and pray with you as well. And plead on your behalf to the Lord that you you receive the freedom that you want. That you can can hold yourself to the commitment you made to the Lord. Does that make sense? That's what this is talking about. That's what confession really should be about. About doing that. Does that make sense, church? So, but what does what does this heart look like? All right, I want to I want to I want to look at this heart. Turn over to Second Corinthians seven. In Second Corinthians seven, um, this is, in this section here, we're going to look at Paul. Paul has written First Corinthians and. 
technically this could actually be 3 Corinthians, but we don't, 2 Corinthians is like lost. So th- we know that there was a letter somewhere that was also written to them that we don't have that was written by Paul. But in 2 in Corinthians, he's actually responding to the first letter he wrote where he like rebukes them for not dealing with sin in the church. He lets them have it. And, and they were, he made them feel really bad. And, and so he's, he's writing in response to that. All right? And so 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8, is where we're going to start off. He writes this, Paul saying, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you. But only for a little while. Yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation and what alarm. What longing and what concern. What readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. You know, this is the heart described of someone who's been cut by their sin. That goes, the darkness, I hate the darkness. They they realize it, they felt it. They understand what their their sin actually did on the cross and and if you, are, if you don't understand why you should be sorrowful, I want to encourage you, if you're visiting, study the Bible with us. We'd love to dig into that with you. To really help you understand what does it mean to be sorrowful. Why we should be sorrowful. Because there were times where I felt like, alright, I guess I should feel bad. But, why should you be sorrowful? If you're part of the church and you know, but you don't feel sorrowful for sin anymore, I want to encourage you to study out the cross again. You've got to get close to that. That's what it... That's, that's the love of God right there. We should know that. It should be on our hearts deeply. But here he said, this sorrow, godly sorrow, produces repentance. And it, it, it lists some of these qualities. And it, it lists a uh, kind of a heart type response of how we would respond. And, and the one I want to start with is indignation and alarm. Indignation and alarm. That's like disgust and shock. And so to illustrate that, I want to, I want to illustrate a point. So I need a volunteer. I'm going to go ahead and ask Kyle to volunteer. You want to help me out, Kyle? You want to help me out? Dang, bro, I didn't think you'd say yes. Wow, I thought you'd put up more of a fight. So I did this illustration yesterday with Kyle. And so I'm going to have you do me a favor. Go ahead, go ahead and, and, and reach in there, bro. I'm so, I'm so, I can't believe you're doing this again, man. I can't believe you're doing this again. Let's okay, take it out. Let's take it out. Take it out. So the idea is, I had him help me with an illustration yesterday. Pull it out. Pull it out. Hello, Dave? Yeah. Here. So, you guys don't get this. He's freaking out. You can sit down. So, I that's some Trader Joe's, Oreos, and peanut butter. I've been telling him he, he needs to do that as a, as a sampling thing. So, now he's going to try it. So, then he's going to remember to sample it. But, what I did yesterday, or 
Friday night. I actually pulled out a Trader Joe's bag, and I had to give him something nice afterwards because he helped me out. Because what I did is in the bag, I actually put our dirty kitty litter in there. I totally did. <laughs> I totally did. He did. I did. And, and I made him put his hand. Well, I asked him to put his hand in it, and he did. And I didn't tell him what it was. And he put his hand in there and touched it. And that's disgusting. Yes. Disgusting. I'm like so surprised you agreed to do that again. I mean, your level of trust me on that. Oh, wow. But, you know, the thing is, is I brought extra soap. I made sure I had it. You know, we were at the guy's house. But I had it. I said, reach in and touch it. And then what he did is he put his hand in thinking, no way. And I said, that is dirty kitty litter. He's like, no way. And I'm like, no, that's actually what it is. And he finally pulls it out and he's got some on his hand. He's like immediately going to the bathroom to get clean. Yeah. To wash his hands. I give him some soap and he goes and he washes his hands like six times. And, you know, he's like getting the suds going. Comes out, the rest of the night you see him, he's like looking at his hands. <laughs> you know? and, but he's, the thing is, is I, I really appreciate it. I know it was so gross. And it's unsanitary, all of that. But how gross is your sin to God? Seriously. Does your sin disgust you? Because it should. It should disgust you. You should be eager to get clean. Eager. Indignant. Indignant, you're disgusted. Alarmed, you're shocked. Told him, and he's like, you know, last night, when he, or Friday night, he touches, I tell him what it is, and he's shocked. Are you shocked by your sin? Are you disgusted by what it is? Or do you like to sit in the filth in the darkness? Right? Are you indignant? Are you alarmed? You know, this, this scripture, it talks, it starts with what eagerness, what, it says what earnestness and what eagerness to clear yourselves. He was exceptionally eager to go wash his hands. Yeah. Are you exceptionally eager to cleanse your soul? <laughs> to be clean before the Lord? Because that's what happens when we confess. It, it, it's this thing where we get to be clean again. Like you go and you do a dirty job, the first thing you want to do is take a shower. You want to take a shower because you feel gross. But are you eager to get clean? Are you are you honest about where you're at? Right? Because before you even want to get clean, you've got to be earnest. Earnest is being honest. Are you honest with where you are with the Lord? Are you eager to go and cleanse yourself? Are you indignant about the sin? Are you ready? Here's the hardest part of all of this. Are you ready to see justice done? Because the heart of true repentance the heart of real repentance is the heart that's ready to see justice done. And sometimes, sin, pretty much all times, but sometimes your sin, you will feel the consequences of your sin when you come out and you get real and you confess. You know? There will be times people have lost jobs, people have flunked classes, people have, people have had huge fights with their spouses. I mean, we're talking... Big things. Major hurt and pain. But sometimes we fear that more than we fear the separation from God. And that's not how it should be. 
But if we do it the Lord's way, and we do it right, there will be no regret. Repentance leaves no regret. But sometimes there will be pain coming. I want to encourage us, guys. We need to be a church. There should be no question of whether or not if we confess sin. Do I confess it or do I not? Let's just be open at the temptation level. Let's not even wait until there's major sin to confess. Be, be, be ready to be clean quickly. Don't even go where you might get the sin on you. Right? You know, it, be disgusted. Be alarmed. Be shocked. Be eager and ready to clear yourselves. And ready to see justice done. Because the most important thing is getting right with the Lord. Those miners, they came out in the light. They had to be blindfolded. And, and I'm sure there's a, they're in a place where they you know, raise the light in a room slowly. But for us, I'm sure they wanted to be in the light, even though it would be shocking. Mm-hmm. Right? You should also want to be in the light. But when we're in the light and we're confessing our sin, we're being open, confessing first to the Lord, committing to Him what we're going to do to be different, how we're going to change and asking Him to help you, to free you from the bonds and the shackles and the snakes or whatever it is that's entangling you, free you from it, commit to Him, and then get people to help you. But let's be a church where we walk in the light, we take it, we take that light into ourselves, and then we take it into the world. The world is a dark place. They need God's light. And the way that God has set it up, He says, you are the light of the world. But we're only the light when we walk in the light, when we live in the light, and when we run from the darkness in our own lives. Amen? Amen. Amen.